So we're going to continue this morning uh, in the Word. So this is how God works, and I always try to let you in a little bit on what God, God's doing because we don't have some ultimate perfect plan, and some of you may argue even the plan that we do probably isn't the ultimate perfect plan. That would be a fair assessment at times. I just told leadership team this week, I said, we're done with the, we're done with the front friends in faith. We're going to move on to this new series, um, which is called Basic, and I was excited to do that, unless God moves. And then almost as soon as I said that, it seemed like God moved in this way. And so I'm not saying like, oh, braggadociously, I feel like at the end of the series, I want to talk about one more thing. So we've been talking for weeks now about this idea of faith and friends and how these things interact. And this applies to all of us in all of our lives, no matter where we are, right? That the things we decide to believe and the people we decide to hang out with make a difference. And we believe that God has ordained relationship for a purpose. We don't think that we're called to be uh, completely set apart uh, from the world in that way. We think we're called to love people and allow ourselves to be loved by people, to enter into trust relationships, which is a hard thing to do. Hard thing to do. Matter of fact, I know a lot of people who would say, um, I love God, I just don't like people. But you know, the Bible speaks against that. You know, when it says, how can you say I love God, but you can't love your brother? There's a disconnect. If you don't ultimately trust God in your relationships, that you would risk things like being honest and genuine. And so uh, we've been talking about that for a while. We talked that first week about how Jesus calls us God's friends. And what that means is that God lets us know his business, kind of like what Ryan and Katie were talking about. He gives us a window into what he's doing. He invites us into his work. It's not a mystery what God is doing. We get to be part of that work. And then the, the second week, I think we talked about Jesus is a friend to sinners. We talked about how, Jesus, how, we, how sinners need a friend, man. And, and Jesus is a friend to sinners, and that's good news. And that's kind of actually what we're talking about today a little bit, but in a different way. We talked about the biblical model of a great friend, what a really great friend could be. And I went through all the texts in the New Testament, kind of pulled out those things and, and talked about them, kind of held it up and said, wow, that'd be really cool to be a friend like that. Or wow, it'd be really cool to have a friend like that. Those attributes that I pulled out of, of the text as I was kind of working through going, that's really awesome. Then I talked about, we talked about the, uh, the friends of Job, who, who Steve said so well last week, looked like friends but weren't friends at all, you know, um, that they kind of had all the right religious things to say but really wasn't helping Job in any way, just creating more pain and he would cry out like, oh, do you hate me so much that you would, you know, condemn me to suffer your words? I mean, you know, just stop talking. Oh, that's a great lesson. Yeah. And last week, Steve brought the word about Great friendship of the Bible, David and Jonathan. And I was, uh, that's on the website, by the way. I, I'm so thankful for Drew stepping up and doing that because I got to listen to that this week and be blessed by that revelation that they conspired together to, to commit to a friendship that would outlast any temporal struggle and that they would kind of allow God to show them what God was up to in their lives, loving each other all the way. What an awesome testimony about what friendship can be. And those are all really awesome things, and I was thinking about that, and then we got to, I'm like, I think that's it. That's the end of the series. We move on. And then I had this nagging sense of the text that I read about, about friendship in the Bible, and I thought, yeah, that's true. All those things are true, but there's this whole other thing that God's doing through the gospel, and I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the danger of letting your friends cost you your faith today. 
So I want to talk about that. So let's pray together if you would and then we're going to jump right into the word this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to come into worship and praise you. We thank you so much that you are with us. Your divine presence is in us, through us, around us. Uh, that you have inspired your word, your holy scriptures, the Bible to be written that we might read and understand, no longer be fools of the world, but inspired by the Holy Spirit of God and have wisdom in this life, Father. May you uh, bring about that reality today. Uh, for those of us who come here with lots of burdens, I pray that we bring them to you. We can just lay them down for a bit and listen to you. Um, for those of us who have a tendency to want to go the wrong way, that you would shepherd us back into your flock and just tell us how much you care and what your plans are for us. You do your work, Father. I don't tell you how to do it. None of us do. You are God. We are not. You are God. I am not. Thank you that you are God. May you be glorified today as your people listen to your wisdom. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's some verses about friendship that are in the Bible that are not like those other ones. And uh, there's this one I want to share with you, kind of start off this thought about, <clears throat> about this warning, I guess, about friendship that's a, a danger to us, right? So it's a good thing. I'm not understanding, un undermining anything we've already said, but this is also something we should be concerned about in friendship. And it comes from the book of James. James is thought to be the half-brother of Jesus, by the way. Um, same mama, different daddy. That's the understanding. And um, he writes this book. Now, what's interesting about James is he was not one of those early believers in Jesus. You know, he was the, he was the guy who showed up and thought his brother was crazy. Come back home you know, we put you on some meds and sell you down a little bit because you think you're the son of God and, and Jesus knew who he was. And so, but James comes to faith and then James says this, and this is in uh, James 4.4. 4. And uh, this is one of those verses, a lot of times when you're a pastor, a preacher, or a teacher, you find a troubling verse, you go, I'm just, I'm just not going to deal with that, right? That's, that, that makes me uncomfortable, but I want you to listen to what James wrote to the churches. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, do you remember Jesus said, you know, like, use your worldly wealth to gain earthly friends so you might enter into eternity. Like, he told us to do that. And here, James is writing, he's like, hey, do you not know that friendship with the world is, is an enemy to, toward God or, and, and uh, makes you enemies of God? Now, get this. What's he talking about in context? This is crazy because if you ever want to know, like, why is there fighting and quarreling among us, that's what James is talking about here, right? Because if you look back a little bit in 4.1, what causes fights and quarrels among you does not come from your own desires that battle within you, your own desires, your what, things that you've decided you want in this life. Look at two. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight with each other. You don't have because you don't ask who? God. You don't ask God for it. You're going to get it by yourself, right? Verse 3, when you ask, you don't receive it because you've asked with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasure. Wrong-headed. And then he teaches this, you adulterous people. You know that word adulterous, that's one of those words that ought to like give us, you know, kind of shock the system in church world, you know, the adultery, man, like cheating on your spouse, cheating on your bride, cheating on your groom, and you go, what's he talking about? Listen, this idea that God is our completer, and that we're, when we choose to be unfaithful to God with the world, that we're betraying his trust and his relationship with us. 
He calls them adulterous. You adulterous generation. Do you not know that friendship with the world, that if you decide that the things you want are far more important than the things God wants, that that makes you an enemy of God? Half-brother of Jesus drops that on us, throws it out there. The bottom line is that if we don't want the things of God, we won't please God and we won't be satisfied in our own lives. We'll be betrayers of him. And what's really interesting, actually, and this is what we're going to get into today, is that the progression of the way the words work there is it says, if you choose now to be a friend of the world, and that doesn't mean to be, like we said, you can be friends with people, but if you're like, I'm all sold out for this life right now here, right? If you choose to be friends of the world, you will become an enemy of God. That's a future tense thing. It's a cause and effect, (laughs) I want you to understand that, that if you choose now that all your treasure and passions in the world, in the future, you're going to end up being an enemy of God. Why? Because you don't want the things that God wants. That's kind of the context uh, I want to lay down. So lest you go, well, that's, that's Jesus' brother, right? Uh, we're going to work out of another text today. This is going to be our main text today, and this is Jesus. And this is Jesus, again, talking to friends when he says it, so we, we don't want to miss that. This isn't some additional teaching, something else off topic he's talking about. It's him talking to friends, and it's in chapter 12. We're going to do 1 through 5. You could actually cover all the way through 11 if you wanted to. Um, I'm not going to this morning, but it's all laid out there. This warning that Jesus has for his disciples about what it, it looks like to be friends with the world. Check it out. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Meanwhile, while a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling upon one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. So he's teaching disciples of his, right? And here's his teaching. Thousands of people are hanging out with Jesus. Lots of people are coming to hear what he has to say. But he wants to tell his disciples something important. And he says, be on your guard against the yeast of Pharisees. Be on your guard against the yeast of Pharisees. Now, this, for those folks who haven't been around church for a long time, I want, I want to lay out a clear definition of Pharisees. We can even muddy, I feel like I've muddied the water myself with Pharisees, right? Because Pharisee can be a bad thing, a good thing. We elevate it, we, we push it down or whatever. Pharisees are religious people. And they're not just religious people, but they're people that we think of as being religious, right? They're the holy men that we would look up to. And Jesus tells his disciples in this crowd of thousands, he says, he's like, I want you to beware of the yeast of Pharisees. Now, yeast is something that changes what it's involved in. It, it's, a, it's a product that causes, I think, bread to rise, right? I'm not a baker. I think that's how that works. It, it causes things to get puffed up and swollen and out of shape and less real, you know? And, um, and it, but it's kind of a insidious in nature. It, it starts off small and it gets bigger and bigger and it, it kind of expands and it, it encroaches into areas it shouldn't be in. And, and you can just see the imagery here. So what is this? What is this? Um, yeast he's talking about. He's warning his disciples that he calls friends, that he calls friends about. It says it right there. Did you hear it? It is hypocrisy. That, that's what it is. It's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is nothing more than pretending. Pretending. Now I've gotten some, uh, I had some good conversations I guess you'd say about this idea. Um, there are people who argue adamantly that you do fake it till you make it. I say don't fake it till you make it. Fight the urge to fake it till you make it. 
right? Because of this warning from Jesus. Don't be like them. Be wary of them. Don't pretend. How does this tie into friendship of the world? Listen to what the... How, have you ever pretended just to fit in? Like, have you ever been with a group of peers, whether it's coworkers at work, whether it's friends at the lunch table, whether it's people in your family, and, and they say something that you don't agree with, fundamentally you don't agree with it, but you just pretend so you might be f- accepted. This is the, the yeast he's warning them about, right? Why? Thousands of people are gathered to hear Jesus teach. The Pharisees are obviously amongst the crowds. They're in the people. Wow, that guy is here too. I can't believe he's at the same conference. He's at the same gathering. He's at the same meeting. He works for the same company. This is crazy. And he goes, don't be tempted to pretend. Don't be tempted. How many of us do that in our lives? Like, okay. Have you had that experience where you're with a group of people, you really love them, you really want to be loved by them, they say something that's just totally whack. Like totally, to- you, in your core, you just twitch about it. Like, oh, that's not right. But you go, yeah, man, me too. Because this is what you're doing. I want to be clear. In that moment, you're deciding that this relationship is more important than this relationship that you have. That whoever those people are, whether they're family, friends, coworkers, that you've decided that moment that rather than to be honest, to be true to who I am, and at least say nothing, and at, and at most say something, we don't do either and we go along. I choose you in this moment. Jesus said that's hypocrisy. How would that work for the Pharisees? Pretend you're religious. Change the way you dress. Change the way you act. Uh, memorize some scripture right? Bind things in your head, wrap things around your arm, uh, walk. No, 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 no. Float in and out of rooms. <laughs> Just wear something long so it looks like, hey, is he even moving his feet? I don't know who he is. Does he go to the bathroom? You guys think about that kind of stuff? No, Jesus says, be wary of the yeast of the Pharisees. That is hypocrisy, which is pretending don't go along in that way to get along. We're not saying be contrary, but listen, you know, you know there's moments where you go, that's not right. I, I don't believe that. I don't agree with that. And, and the moment for you is to decide, who do I stand with? Do I stand with a Pharisee or a pretender, a mocker or a scoffer? Or do I stand where God calls me to stand in my life? See, that's the thing about the Pharisees. They were supposedly holy men. They were supposedly the most righteous among us. And yet, Jesus repeatedly used them examples of what you don't want to be. He says things like, repentant sinners are the holiest men. Did you catch that? Um, Repentant sinners are the holiest people. Remember the story, the guy who beats his breast. I'm not worthy to even stand before you. God says, that's a holy man. That's a redeemed one. But not the Pharisee who pretends to be holy. That's our temptation when we get around our friends. Just go along. Look at why Jesus tells them. You go, okay. He says, don't be like the Pharisees. I got it. Look at why. Verse 2. 
There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. There is nothing that is hidden that will not be made known. I want you to think about what Jesus is teaching there. Everything will be known. I don't know if when you were a little kid, your parents ever used that thing on you, like God sees what you're doing. Anybody? You're a teenager. God sees what you did. You're like, oh boy. Because <laughs> I was there. It was not good. God saw that. That's what he's saying. Everything is going to be, why don't you want to pretend? Why don't you want to just show up and act like you're holy? Why don't you just want to say, I'm a good person, I go to church. And that's why not do that? Because the truth will come out. The truth will come out. And then it gets scarier. Because look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed. We sang a song today, shout it from the top of the mountains, right? Jesus is Lord. Shout it from the top of the mountains. He says, the things that you whisper to someone intimately into their ear will be screamed from the hilltops. Jesus is like, God is serious. There's no pretending with God. You're not going to fake it till you make it. And somehow your friends sit there at your casket and you go, oh, look, what a holy man. And God goes, I don't know who this is. They were never honest. I saw what happened over here. I heard what was said over there. Man, listen, I remember, I told you all this one time. I remember one time I was like, the world was just pressing in and things were bad, things were happening. And I was like, yeah, you know, I was praying to God and this verse came to mind. Everything done in darkness will come to light. And I'm like, yes, all the evil deeds of darkness because I was convinced that they were evil and I was good. <laughs> I was like, yes, God, that's right. One day you're going to, everything's going to be known. And almost immediately upon me celebrating on the gravestone of my oppressor, I felt the nagging truth that, oh, my sins are going to be known. My sin. Not their sin. And all of the celebration and triumphal song became a song of mourning. Oh God, would you forgive me? I praise you that you forgave me. Far be it from me to want to see all sin exposed, but it will be. Huh? Listen to me. God is not in the pretending. And if your relationship with your friends, if your friendship with the world causes you to pretend about your faith, it's not helping it's hurting. And we ought to be warned about that. When Jesus does, he says, everything said. Now, I want to say something about Jesus. You could take him at his word that the things he says are true. Or you can believe that he is not who he said he is and you're off the hook. Um, but you can't take him at his word and still think you're off the hook. <laughs> like you can't take Jesus to be who he says he is, the son of God, and then read that word and go, man, that's not exactly what he meant. Not everything's going to be known, right? You kind of want to back off of that, you know. Oh, I'm going to find out my junk. And this can be shouted from the mountaintops. This can be a noisy place, right? With all the whispering in ears around my life. Look at verse 4. This is such an, a loving address from Jesus. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that do no more. Like that's, he's just setting a limit on what can happen. In that context, the Pharisees, there was an opportunity, an option, or a, a, a reality that if you didn't go along with the Pharisees, they would make your life 
a living hell now. Oh, you want to not come to my house for dinner anymore? You want to treat me like that? I'm a Pharisee. You can't, right? No, worse than that. You believe Jesus is a what? You know that's blasphemy. We kill people like you around here. I mean, do you remember that it was Saul who became the Apostle Paul who stood by, pursued Christians in the early church in Acts and stood by and watched as Stephen was stoned to death because he would not deny his faith. We go, theoretically, if uh, persecution comes, uh, what will I do, you know? Hypothetically speaking, listen, Stephen died, died, because he would not deny Christ. He would not go along to get along. He would not partake of the yeast of Pharisees. I won't pretend that what I know about God is not true. Not for my own life. And, and he dies. And Saul, good job. Victory for our side. He becomes the apostle Paul, who's so outraged by holy men. Right? Workers of evil. Jesus says, listen my friends, uh, don't, uh, don't do that. Don't, don't get caught up in that, that lie. Don't fear the one who could only kill your body and do no more. Don't be afraid of them. I remember a few years ago, we went and we played dodgeball at EBCC, which is coming up, by the way, <laughs> Drew Camp. Um, and we were over there, and somebody brought blackout. And I put that verse on my blackout. You know how football players put the verse on their blackout sometimes, you know, like John 3.16? I put that, don't fear the one who can only kill your body and do no more, because I was going to kill some kids that night at dodgeball. You know, I was my joke. I didn't really kill any kids, for the record. <laughs> I couldn't hit them. <laughs> I was trying. <laughs> but... Um, but it was kind of funny, right? Because like, that's what he says. Like, if you're in a relationship with people and you're afraid, I'm afraid in this moment if I say, uh, now I'm not telling you to know it all, but I mean, if there's some things that are fundamentally untrue, if they're saying things that are against God, against the truth, and you know, you know the truth, and you just go, oh yeah, me too, man. That you're choosing this relationship over that relationship in that moment. And all this person can do at the very worst is kill you. The very worst thing that can happen is you could die. And what does Jesus say? And do no more. I remember um, back in my early days of ministry, there was this popular shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. I had Jesus with an afro and a halo. <laughs> it was super cool, you know, black shirt, white. I'm like, and we loved that shirt. We thought that was the coolest shirt ever because we felt like Jesus had been put so far on this other side of the chasm that we're like, ah, you know, he's always glowing, always has hands like that or whatever, you know, the heart thing that happens outside of his clothes. Don't understand that, but over there and we're like that's that foreign god and then we had this like jesus is my homeboy like yeah we're bros man it's so cool right like we're in it together but there was some little twink of like yeah kind of <laughs> you know what i mean like you would see that shirt, you'd be like yeah kind of <laughs> you know like he's our home he's our friend but not only our friend like it was cheapening a little bit to talk about jesus in that way and this, I think, gives us a glimpse into why. Because Jesus says, friends, don't fear those who can kill your body and do no more. Right? Don't, don't fear the ones that can drain your 401k account and do no more. Uh, don't fear the ones that can take your children from you and do no more. Don't, what is your fear? Like, 
what is your fear, your greatest fear in this life? Jesus would say, don't fear the person that can do that. And they can do no more. Because that's all they can do. And if you don't already hear that, he's begging that there's something greater at risk than your present day comfort, than your financial security, than the future you have in this life, than your goals, your plans, your family, your friends. There's something far more, uh, far bigger at risk. Don't be afraid of those who can do no more. And in verse 5 he says this, but I will show you whom you should fear. See, he doesn't say don't be afraid of anything. That's what we love, right? Like no fear, that thing. Like we can do anything we want. I'm not, I'm not afraid of nobody or nothing. And that's the culture we live in right now. You get that, right? Like the culture that we live in who are not believing the gospel of Jesus stand in opposition to the God who made them, period. And they aren't afraid of God. They're not. And you, you can be like, I, I got Jesus, I'll go along, but that's cool that you don't believe in Jesus. And that you, then they, Listen, he says, I'm going to tell you who you should fear, friends. He didn't say don't fear anyone. This is what he says. Fear the one, verse 5, who after killing the body has power to throw you into hell. Fear him. And we don't like that a lot of times in church, do we? No, Jesus is my buddy. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is the guy that said, I better fear God because he can throw me into hell. I ought to fear him. See, this is that homeboy shirt getting awkward. Oh, holy God. Bigger plans. Bigger ambitions. Bigger purpose than my own desires that I quarrel about in my life. Jesus teaches us to fear him I've heard this kind of explained away by people before. Well, it means respect and holy reverence. And listen, I just want to do a little exercise with you. I want you to think deeply for a minute um, with me. I want you to think about this. If you were to die today, and I don't mean that way that we've heard that the door knock on the door, if you died today, would you go to heaven, right? I mean literally, like if today is your last day on earth, if you're going to leave this place and die, maybe you're going to die right where you sit today. And I want you to let that just sit on you for a minute. If this is it, what, what fears come up in you? Does it cause any... If, if, if you knew, if you knew that today when you left, someone was trying to kill you, what would you do to avoid that person or defend yourself or arm yourself or protect yourself? Almost anything. Like, think about that. If I knew that today, I'd do almost anything to not let that happen. It's scary, no matter what age you are. But Jesus says there's something scarier. Dying and then being sent to hell forever. He, he like, goes, that's way worse. Lay that over to God. That's way worse. So in those moments when you're tempted, when I'm tempted to sell out, you know, and be like, Jesus, who's that? I don't know Jesus. I agree with you guys. (laughs) Screw those Christians. And you go to church quietly. Nobody knows I'm here. (laughs) Be afraid. God is not playing games. I have 
two kind of admonitions I would lay out for you. And this is just from my heart um, as I think about these things. And it's this. Uh, and this one's hard to say, man, but I just really, if you don't know God, I don't mean if you don't know about God. I don't mean if you haven't been to, if you've been to church. I, don't mean, I mean, listen, if you don't know God through Jesus Christ, don't pretend that you do. Just don't pretend that you do. Keep coming. Keep hanging out. Keep showing up. I'm not, it's not, there's thousands in the crowd, right? But just don't pretend. Go like, man, I, I don't believe that. That's one thing. Just don't pretend. But the other thing is this. If you know God, if you know him as Lord and Savior, like, I mean, if you've entered into a relationship, if you've, you know, there's so many words I've used that describes over the years, you know, your heart's strangely warmed. I mean, you've, 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 you've conceived the truth of Scripture. You, you're compelled. You have a, a burden for other people. You want to know more of the gospel. You want others to know more of the gospel. If you know Jesus, don't pretend like you don't. Don't pretend so you can just get along. The day is coming where everything we made known. The day is coming when there's a first death guaranteed for every one of us. Don't like to think about it. It's coming. There's a bigger day coming when God will decide who's going to hell and who isn't. Later on in the same verse, Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the heavenly angels. Man, imagine that. One conversation with a friend where you're like, I don't know him is a cause for an effect later with Jesus in heaven with all the angels. It doesn't even say you won't be there. It's, I don't know him. What? Don't let your friendships stop your faith. We should have friends. Don't let it stop your faith. We're going to uh, celebrate communion together today. Um, now, the communion table is interesting uh, because the communion table is God's offering of peace. Right? So if you think about this, it's like there's this huge problem. People are dying and people are going to go to hell. But there's this huge solution and it's that Jesus died that you and I might be free. And you and I have heard these words many times. I mean, we've heard it so much, right? That we can go like, yeah, yeah, this is, let's wrap this up, right? Um, this is the point that this sacrifice is offered that we don't have to be sacrificed that this debt is paid that we don't have to pay and we get invited to this table of peace with God he allows us to come and to dine with him as not enemies but friends with him so here's the tragedy would be if we uh, spent our whole lives trying to impress our friends only to deny God I want to share with you um, from the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. I want to read it. We don't always read it, but I want to read it this morning to you as we reflect upon the word and upon God's call to his people. The Apostle Paul, who was Saul, who watched Christians die, right? He's the one that writes this letter. And he calls us the most important thing, right? He says the things that we learned. I wanted to uh, share with you. Um, and he talks about this communion table where uh, God is offering us peace. 
uh, I want to talk for a minute about that. Um, peace sometimes means like a laying down of arms. Like, oh, we have a peace agreement, right? And so laying down hostilities. We're not going to try to kill each other anymore. We're going to tolerate each other. But that's an incomplete idea. Because the truth is that in the peace of God, there's a fulfillment of everything. It's not that you lose anything. You gain everything. There's this uh, Hebraic word that was, um, that was brought up this week. We talked about communion, and it's shalom. And, and if you ever hang out with someone who's Jewish, they'll say shalom to you. Maybe they'll greet you. Maybe they'll send you off that way. But it means be full. Be full in God. Have peace with God. And that's what this table represents to us. It represents Jesus doing what no one can do that we might have fullness in God. We might have completion in God. This is, I want to read this. This is verse 23 of chapter 11 of Corinthians. Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I am also passing on to you, that the Lord Jesus, notice the Lord Jesus, right? Not homeboy Jesus or friend, the commander, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you do it, remember me. Right? 25. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup. Again, he said, this cup is a new promise made in my blood, and every time you drink this cup, I want you to remember me. Remember Jesus. Paul goes on, 26. Anytime you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim our Lord's death until he returns. We're saying again, yes, Jesus. This is you, Jesus. This is about what you did, Jesus. I don't mean that is Jesus. Don't get me started. That's bread and juice. That's Jesus. And that's who we remember, that he died that we might be free, that his blood is a new promise made for our sake. And we proclaim his death, 27. Therefore, anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And that's a tough verse. An unworthy manner, right? Brush your teeth, straighten up, act right. Listen, repentant sinners. Yes, I need you. We receive the cup as a gift from God, a peace offering to us that we might be full, sustained, healed. 28, Paul says, Therefore, a man should examine himself, or a woman, by the way, he's not being a sexist here, before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. Because anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of our, and the blood of our Lord uh, eats and drinks judgment on themselves. You know what that says? I'm going to wrap up with this, guys. They're pretending. They're at the table. They're in Christian fellowship. The Holy Spirit is here. And they're pretending to know God. He says, that's judgment for you. Don't pretend. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask a few of our leaders to come forward. And uh, we're going to pass the, uh, the um, elements around. But join me in prayer as, as they come forward. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. And we thank you so much that your friendship, your relationship trumps all relationship in this life. Uh, we thank you that you have called us to be holy, to be yours, um, and to be part of your kingdom work. And Father, I, I just pray a prayer of thanks for your great mercy for us. We do not deserve it. And I'm not saying that as one who like believes, yeah, but I kind of deserve it. We do not deserve it. We are sinners saved by faith, 
through, through grace. Um, and uh, we've done nothing to deserve your mercy and grace. But you've opened your table and said, come in. We thank you so much for your salvation. We pray for brothers and sisters who are here who don't know that salvation today. We pray they come to know it. That the stuff, the baggage, it gets, it gets all screwed up and what our heads about who God is, it would go away for the sake of God yourself. We would want you more than religion. We want you more than going along. Oh, Father, minister to us today, would you please? Minister to us through your table. Help us to receive it in a worthy manner as unworthy sinners. You are good. You're so good. We thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.